handle disruptions. And even bigger than that, what's God's perspective on the disruptions of life? And this morning, we're going to especially look at that concept of what God intends for your life and for my life, what God intends for this world. So how are you about reading other people's intentions? You're pretty good? Guys, you, you good at reading your girlfriend's, your wife's intentions? How about uh, your mom or your dad or your brother and sister or your boss or co-worker? How good are you at reading intentions? You might be interested to know that in a 2017 study that was published in 2017 by the University of Manchester, that researchers found that people aren't good at reading the true intentions of others. Shocking. <laughs> Very shocking. They did this study, and they published it and said, we think we know what someone saying that most people think we know what someone is thinking by just observing them. And in the study, they showed this little video clip. And they asked people what was happening. And the team fooled 350 people with this little video clip. As they saw it, they tried to understand what the persons were trying to do and, and what the intent was. And they came up with these very complex, non-existent goals, like they are trying to uh, draw something unique. It, like uh, one specific was a pregnant kangaroo. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm looking at this and I'm not seeing the pregnant kangaroo, but maybe you do. But they went back and they told the people to watch it again and they said, watch the knot in the rubber band. That's the key, the knot in the rubber band. And people still tried to come up with these complex things because they thought they knew what was going on. They went on to call this, we like to control the situations and think we know, and they call it controlled blindness. In other words, they weren't able to see. I don't know if you can tell what's happening is, but the goal here is to keep the knot above the dot. That's all that's happening here, is to keep that knot in the rubber band above the dot on the paper. It's so common for us to see situations, circumstances, actions of other people, and think that we can come up with complex motivations that guide them. I can't always know other people's uh, motivations or intentions but what we're talking about today is even though I can't know other people's intentions I can know God's I can know what God intends and if you just come away with one verse and we're going to look at a bunch of them this is the verse to keep in mind it's Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 where Joseph says you intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives now, after, you, after I told you what the goal of the test was, you could kind of see what was happening and how, how they were trying to keep the dot above the, uh, the knot above the dot. Right now, I'm telling you what God's intentions is. Not, God has told us what his intentions was. Joseph walked through all of the events knowing what God's intention was, and at least at the end, he could say it very clearly, it is the saving of lives, of many lives. God tells us the goals, the goal of what he intends. And God's in, intentions will be followed through. What's God's goal here on earth? <laughs> well, he makes it pretty clear all through Scripture. Here's a few. Jo Jonah 2.9. Salvation comes from the Lord. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... 
Christ died for us. 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as our atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And of course, that beautiful verse in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you understand what God's goal is? What his intentions are? It is to save you and me, to save the world. And this I know, when one's intentions don't align with God's, I at least know this much. <laughs> when what God intends overcomes. God will work in all circumstances and in all places to save. For that's his intention. That is his goal. And so let's just take a few moments to look at Joseph's life and the intentions of those in the story. And we kind of have to start by wondering what Joseph's intentions were for sharing the dream. There's a lot of speculation on this. Genesis 37 verses 5 through 8, it, it talks about that sharing specifically one little passage says Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers they hated him all the more now I don't think Joseph's uh, telling the dream of the sheaves bowing down of the sun moon and the stars bowing down was I don't think the intent was to cause his brothers to hate him just like I don't think it was his father's goal to make his brothers hate him by giving him that nice coat but he had this dream and he shared it well, the brothers' intentions for that dreamer were pretty clear in Genesis 37 in verses 18 and following. When his father sends him to go find his brothers and check on him, they see him from a distance, and they plotted to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Their intentions was to get rid of the dream and the dreamer, to kill the dream. Well, we follow up and see Reuben's intentions and his intentions in Genesis 37 21 through 22 was to sneak back after his brothers left and get him out and take him home safe but that didn't work out so good because Judah had his own intentions and Judah's intentions was why should we kill him and get nothing out of it here comes some some slavers let's sell him as a slave and we'll at least get some money so they they sold him to the Ishmaelites so there's a lot of in intentions taking place in this story already. But the big question is, what did God intend? In Genesis 37, verse 36, it says, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. While the brothers took the cloak and put blood on it, and while the father mourned his loss and faced life with despondency, God carried Joseph into a place where he could be positioned to save people. God's intentions won out. So I want to do a little comparison about God's intentions and distorted intentions. So first of all, let's look at that dream. God's intention for the dream. Genesis 37, beginning in verse 6. He said to them, Joseph said, listen to this dream I had. And he tells them about the sheaves. Then he, he had another dream and he told to that to his brothers he said listen he said I've had another dream and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars 
were bowing down to me. God gives Joseph a dream of something that's going to happen. There's so much on his heart, he can't help share it. And in retrospect, you understand what the dream was. The dream is that you're going to go to a place and be in a position to make an impact, so much so that even your brothers and your mother and your father would bow down to you. That's what God intended with the dream. And what were God's intentions for the journey? Look at Genesis 45, beginning verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. This is, this is when Joseph is revealing himself to his brothers. After that time, you know, they came, they went back home, they've come back again, and he, now he's revealing himself. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. He said, you sold me here for one reason. But God intended it for a different purpose. That journey brought me here. And then look at the salvation that comes because of this. God's intention for saving souls. That's what it was all about. Genesis 45, picking back up in verse 5. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance so then it was not you who sent me here but God he made me father to Pharaoh lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt Joseph was able to see God's intentions for that that dream and that journey and the situation he was in and how he was able to save people and so he didn't focus on the sins and the wrongs and all the circumstances he fo his focus was on praising God because he saw the rest of the sto story. And in Genesis 5, verse 20, that phrase is so powerful. The saving of many lives. That's what God intended all along. But in the midst of God's intention, there are those distorted intentions that travel that same pathway. And so when you look at the dream... What did the brothers interpret the dream to be? A form of enslaving them. Genesis 37, verse 8. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And then when he told his, his, them about the other dream, when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? And what they're saying is, are you, are you going to be one that enslaves us? And when they think about the journey, that journey, once again, all they can see, that distorted intention, is to be enslaved again. Back in Genesis 37, verses 27 through 28, that journey where God is taking him to position him, the brothers, are all, is, all it is about to them is enslaving Joseph. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Once again, all it was for them, that journey, was to kill the dreamer or get the dreamer out, to enslave him. And so he's not going to enslave them. They're going to enslave him instead. And even when salvation comes, once again, all they can think about is enslavement. The brothers intended to never see Joseph again, 
But God intended Joseph to save his brothers. Back in our story in Genesis 50, beginning verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. I mean, they've, they've been with Joseph all this time. He's reassured him. They brought their father down to him. Now the father dies, and they're worried. They're worried. They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they came up with this plot. And then his brothers came and threw themselves before Joseph. Here's what they said. You see it there? We are your slaves. They couldn't see the salvation. All they could see was how they were enslaved. You know, the two dreams that Joseph had depicted his position in the world. It never said they would be his slaves. It just said that he would be in a position where they would bow down and worship him. But the power of guilt is so great that sometimes it makes us incapable of believing that anyone would ever really forgive us. Well, let's continue in the story and just a few observations, a few lessons we can learn from Joseph concerning distorted intentions. And first of all, it's about the brothers. And I want you to see the emotion of Joseph. In Genesis 50, if you want to look at verses 15 through 17, Joseph's father has died. And the brothers are concerned that the only thing that's keeping... Uh, was keeping Joseph from punishing them and enslaving them was their dad. And now that he's dead, they, they come up with this plan to say, Daddy asked us to tell you that when he's dead, don't do this. Well, if, if he said that, why didn't he just tell Joseph? Because Joseph would have listened to his dad. He cared very much. But when they come to him and they tell this story, here's Joseph's response to this distorted intentions that they see in Joseph. When the message came to him, Joseph what? He wept. As we see those around us who uh, read our intentions or the intentions of, of, of God or the church, and they distort them to think that they're just trying to be enslaved or, or pushed down or put down. I mean, the right emotion is to weep, is to care. To, to see that, that people can't understand how, how and what God did for them and God's intentions for his lives, their lives. It reminds me of the words of Jesus, the one who came to save us. And in Matthew 23, 37, as Luke sets up this scene, he, he says Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he weeps. And as Matthew tells about it, here's the words he gives to Jesus. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I've longed to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. You wouldn't listen. You couldn't see. So Jesus looks over this city, this, this people, who, are, who see distorted intentions for his life, and he weeps for them. Another powerful lesson to me from Joseph is to not play God. Look at Genesis 50, verses 18 through 19. So the brothers send this message, 
And then they come to him and they fall at his feet. And they say, we are your slaves. Verse 19, Joseph tells them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Do you see the power in that? Joseph, for not even for a moment, plays God. There was a situation like that with his father when, when his mother came to him and complained to his father about how I, I can't have children, do something about it. And Joseph said, am, am I God? <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't have the power to do anything about this. And, and he was right. But there's something very different happening in the son's life, in Joseph's life. Because Joseph did have the power to enslave. And he said, but am I God? I'm not going to play God here. He had a whole different view. And that's how he could be so restrained. That is how he could be so loving. Because he wasn't placing himself in the role of God in this situation. He was letting God and God's intentions rule. And then one final observation when you're faced with distorted intentions. is just speak with kindness and reassurance. Genesis 50 and verse 21, 20 and 21, where he says, you know, you intended it for harm, but God intended it for, for good. So he tells him in verse 21, so don't be afraid. Why, why are you huddling there, shaking in fear, crying and bowing down? Don't be afraid. I'm going to provide for you and your children. And he reassured them, and he spoke kindly to them. When you see people that misread your intentions or, or misread the intentions of God, reassure them. Speak very kindly. It's not a time to confront and be mean and rude. Instead, talk to them in a kind way and reassuring way. I mean, that's what Paul meant in Ephesians verses four, verse, chapter 4, verses 14 through 15, when he said, We'll no longer be infants blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. In other words, we're not all this intentions and all this deceit that's out there, we're going to be different. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So in these times of disruptions, whatever they might be, speak into them kindness and reassuring words. And you can do this because we can have great confidence that when others' intentions collide with God's, God wins. His intentions always win. So I've got a picture of an insect here for you. Anybody tell me what it is? Uh, how you doing on that? It is ugly. It's actually not as big as you might think. Anybody? Any farmers in the crowd? Thank you very much. Sarah, I love you got it. It is a boll weevil. And boll weevils are actually came from Mexico and in the early 1900s. It, they appeared in the south, especially in uh, Alabama and, and where they grew cotton. 
And they first showed up in around 1915. And by 1918, whole crops of cotton were being destroyed. A man named H.M. Sessions thought it would be a good time in the South and in Alabama to introduce peanuts as an alternative crop. And so he found a, a farmer that was willing to, to give it a try, and he was very successful and immediately had a very productive crop that paid off all his debts. And so other farmers started taking up the call, and they started growing peanuts as well as cotton and learned to have diversity in their crops and the, and the value that they brought. Cotton finally came back. But they found great success with peanuts, and, it, it, and the community continued to flourish. In Enterprise, Alabama, a businessman named Bond Fleming came up with the idea to build a statue in honor of the boll weevil because it, of how the boll weevil had been a catalyst to change. And in the midst of, diversity, of, of hardship, they had been able to succeed, and, and they adjusted, and they moved forward. And so in, uh, in Enterprise, Alabama, a monument, monument was dedicated on December 11, 1919 to the boll weevil. Now, the original statue didn't have a boll weevil. Thirty years later, a guy came along and said, hey, if you have a statue to a boll weevil, you ought to have a boll weevil on it. And so he decided to make one. Luther Baker made one and then mounted it on top. There you have it. There's your, there's your statue. And next to that statue, honoring the boll weevil, is this plaque. In profound appreciation of the boll weevil and what it has done as a herald of prosperity, this monument was erected by the citizens of Enterprise, Coffee County, Alabama. I love the story. You've probably heard it before, and I have too. But I, get a, I chuckle every time I see it. Statue to a boll weevil. Brothers and sisters and friends, sin has infested our lives. And that infestation of sin has as its goal, as its intention, to enslave. To make us slaves to sins. But God intended something very different. And in the book of Genesis, from the page one to the end, he made it very clear that he has power over his creation and he intends to save. That's true for you and me. Jesus was lifted up on the cross for our sins. And so again, in the words of Genesis 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God's full intention has been and always will be to save people. And when bad things happen in your life and circumstances go south, God's intention is to save you. He doesn't follow around behind us as a nervous little child trying to pick up all the bad things that happen in our lives and see how he can fit them into something good. God's intentions are already laid out. And whatever Satan throws at you, he cannot stop that. God's intention is to save you, me, and others. And no matter what others' intentions, God intends to save, and he will. Sin's intention is to enslave. But God's intention is to save. I'm not saying that accidents and disasters 
Moral evils don't cause great pain and great hardship. They do. But suffering cannot separate us from God's love and his intent to save and his purpose. I know we want to say, what if? But let's always look to God and his intention. For if there had been no fancy coat, there would have been no jealous brothers. And if there were no jealous brothers, there would never not be any selling to the Midianites. And if there were no Midianites, there would have been no Potiphar. And if there was no Potiphar's wife, there would have been no prison. And if there was no prison, there would have been no interpretation of dreams. And if there was no interpretation of dreams, there would have been no prime minister. And if there was no prime minister, there would have been no one to save the family. And if the family wasn't saved, there would be no Israel. And if there was no Israel, there would have been no Jesus. And if there was no Jesus, there would be no cross. And if there was no cross, there would be no salvation. God intends to save. And he will. No matter what, no matter who. For on the cross... God's intentions won out. In Joseph's life, God's intentions won out. In my life, in your life, God's intentions, let them win out. God cares. He loves you. He sent his son to save you. In the words of 2 Peter 3, 9, Here's God's intent, his want for each and every person. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's what he wants from your life, and he's made all things possible. The, the question is, will you respond? For from the beginning, God has loved you. Once again, that beautiful passage, John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came to save. So will you submit your life to him? Will you see the good that God did through Jesus? And in the midst of the sin in your life, would you submit to, to his will? In the waters of baptism, give your life to him, let the sins be washed away, be raised to walk that new life. Would you confess him as Lord, repent of those sins and be baptized? Now's a beautiful time. We would love to join with you on that. Those of us who've tried to take back control, question God's intentions, or let the world get us down, maybe we need to renew our commitment to Christ. If we can pray for you in any circumstances or any, any way, we'd love to do so. You can respond, and we'd pray for you right now. If you're at home, go to our website. We have a, a prayer link that you can click on. We'd love to be praying for you. This is a time to allow God to work in our lives. Let him be glorified in all that we do because it is not us anymore if we're Christians. We gave our life to him. And if you haven't, won't you give your life to him right now? If you need to respond publicly, won't you come now as we stand together and sing? I am 